traveling down in Juarez, Mexico with some high school youth and doing a variety of construction projects. And I remember the line I asked one of these high school boys when he returned back from his work project. I asked him, at what point did you think that was a good idea? <laughs> really? When, when you were planning out how you were going to do this roof, do you think it would be a good idea to take the whole five-gallon bucket of tar and dump it at one time? When did you think that would be a good idea? You see, I had sent these high school boys who I thought were kind of the mature of the group. That experience in going on other mission trips and, and doing other work before. And we were basically working on very simple homes. Four walls and a very simple, very almost flat roof, a little bit slanted. Putting rubber roofing on the house. It was very simple. You poured a little bit and you took a brush and you just rubbed it like this. Had spent the day before doing a roof with them just like that. Pour a little bit, take the brush and rub it. Well, they sent, sent them off by themselves and the, the uh, person from Juarez that was kind of getting the tools and the stuff came back and reported to me and, and said, hey, we're going to need to get another bucket of tar for tomorrow. Well, what happened? Well, they dumped it all at once because they had this idea that if they took the three guys that they had along and they all stood at the bottom of the roof like this and they dumped it all in one full chute at top at one time, what could happen is it would all come down, all three of them would go up at the same time and they would get it done really fast. That didn't work so well. Basically all the tar went through one of the guy's legs and just kind of made a nice little stream right down on the side of the house. And if you've ever had to clean that stuff up, it was not fun. I'm sure at some point you've had an idea. Now for myself, all my ideas have turned out. But I'm sure at some point you've had an idea where your spouse or your parent or your family member, your teacher, your boss came to you and said, at what point did you really think that was a good idea. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have power. Because ideas don't just kind of sit up here in the clouds. What happens is ideas have influence over something, over someone. That's why it's important what we think about. It's important to consider the ideas we have in our minds. And there's a lot of ideas in the world around us about Christianity. You could go to Google today and type in, what is Christianity? And there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of pages of options of what Christianity is. You can go home and ask Alexa, Alexa, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you're going to get an answer. You can ask Siri on your phone, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you're going to get a different answer than Alexa. There's a bundle of different ideas of what it means to be a Christian. And we have to consider these ideas and ask ourselves, does the idea that I have in my mind, in my heart, of what it means to be a Christian, align with what God has revealed in his word? Otherwise, I have simply invented or created my own version of Christianity. And ideas have consequences. We have to examine and say, is there dangerous stuff happening in our lives, in the lives around us, because we have a bad idea about Christianity? Today we're going to take a few moments and we're going to dig in to the meat of this passage and we're going to ask, what's the central idea behind Christianity? 
And then we're going to say, what's the implications of that idea? Basically, if, if we live in that idea, that concept, how does that influence, on a da- influence us on a daily basis and reshape some of the bad ideas that we have? So let's dig in here in Philippians chapter 3 and follow along with me. We're basically going to work through this, this chapter here. This is a chapter that really comes to this point because the Apostle Paul is basically saying at the beginning, verse 2, look out for the dogs. What he's doing is he's saying, hey, there's some people with bad ideas. Now, when you see this, you see, look out for the dogs. Most of you, you probably think of, well, puppies are cute. <laughs> right? Because we have dogs and we keep them in our homes. In, in first century here where this was taking place, dogs were not nice pets like we have, okay? They didn't have pets sleeping with them in their waterbed every night. Okay, dogs were kept out in the pasture, if not beyond. They were considered dirty animals. They were what? They were fed the slops of the table. You know, nowadays it's like you get your hand slapped if you feed the dog leftovers, right? Any spouses here get in trouble for feeding the dog leftovers? Oh, yes, we got one. I guarantee you, he's feeding them the real bacon. But, but, now, but now you can go buy specialty bacon strips for your dog. Okay, we think of dogs very high value. For them, as dogs got the, the worst. So Paul is saying, hey, look out for the dogs. This was not just a nice little comment. This was like, wow, who are you talking about? Well, who Paul is talking about? are the people that are leading the church, the people that are part of the religious movement. He's not talking about the government. The government's not the one he's calling dogs. Let's read on here. Look out for the evildoers, for those who mutilate the flesh. He's not being very nice here. He's saying, look out for these people that have different ideas that are teaching something that doesn't match up. Well, what are they teaching? Let's go on here. Verse 3, he starts to kind of say about these people, for we are the circumcision, so he's talking about himself now, for the circumcision who by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul's beginning to now lay out the difference of saying, I'm the one who doesn't put any confidence in the flesh, but those evildoers, those dogs who you're supposed to watch out for, what? They're seeking to have you put confidence in the flesh. And Paul says, hey, hey, if anybody has reason to have confidence in the flesh, and and flesh here means really physical um, history of where you kind of come from, your ethnicity, along with your activity. So it's not just kind of when you hear flesh and other things, ideas of the body. It's talking about your ethnicity and your religious activity. Say, hey, if anybody's got reason for confidence in their ethnicity and their religious activity, I've got it. So then Paul goes on to list these things that would be considered trophies in his trophy case. The things that Paul lists, religious leaders would see this and say, wow, no one matches this. Look at this. Look at this. He's a, he's a Hebrew, born perfect with bloodlines. Not only that, circumcised perfectly. Not only that, but guess what? The law, these requirements that God has passed down about the Sabbath and about festivals, these dietary requirements, guess what? This, this person has followed them to a T. He's crossed every T and he's dotted every I. This, this man, Paul, he's got, he's got trophies. Paul says, guess what? That religious activity and that ethnic descent, 
it means nothing. And these people that are trying to get you to focus on that, to put your trust in that, they're dogs. If anybody ever tells you that Christianity is about being nice, you can just take them right here to this Bible passage. Christianity is not just about believing anything that you want. We won't have the New Testament if that was true because every letter is written to what? Correct or kind of reshape a group of people's thinking. And the reason that Paul is so harsh here is that Paul knows the dangers. Paul knows that what happens if you put your hope in ethnicity and religious activity, he knows the dangers. So Paul says, hey, 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 whoa, whoa. Not that stuff at all. That's not the idea of Christianity. That stuff I consider lost. Look with me, if you would, here in Philippians 3, down to verse 8. I count everything as lost, all, that, all those trophies, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I don't know if any of you are still bringing along the King James Version this morning. You read verse 8. Go to verse 8 when you get home in the King James Version. It's not translated rubbish. It's translated dung. Okay, I don't think I have to translate that any further for you this morning. Any four-letter word will work in that spot. And I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly what the word is going for. All this other stuff is what? It's rubbish. It's junk in comparison to what? in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, 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 that ethnicity, that religious activity, guess what? It's nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. The central idea of Christianity is not religious activity. The central idea of Christianity is very simply knowing Jesus. You want to simplify it down to one sentence. Christianity is knowing Jesus. You cannot be a Christian unless you know Jesus. The whole goal of what God is about in the world is he wants everybody to know Jesus. Let's look here a little bit to unpack where am I getting this from. Look at verse 8 again. The surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Why is that of surpassing worth? Now this is where it gets... Sometimes we kind of like, well, we know that, know Jesus. We don't get to the reason behind it. And when we don't get to the reason behind it, when trouble comes, we no longer treasure Jesus. A lot of people at some point in their life treasure Jesus, at least for a moment. Why? Because they think Jesus is going to fix everything. Like, oh, finally, I'm going to get some purpose when I know Jesus. Or or Jesus is going to give me a, a good job. But why is Paul saying that we should treasure Jesus Christ? We've got to dig in here, follow along very closely. Why should we treasure Jesus? Verse 9, so for all things considered rubbish, I began Christ. Verse 9, now we get the reason why. And be found in him, Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. A righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Let me help you understand that a little bit. The Apostle Paul is connecting this with what he just talked about, his trophies. He's Because most religious people would have said, you are righteous before God. In other words, you have a good relationship. You're in right standing with God. Why? Because you what? Have gone through this religious activity or come from this ethnicity. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm not declared righteous because of that. That's not my righteousness. That's not what I cling to. When I stand before God, I'm not going to say, God, 
I was circumcised on the eighth day. Paul's not going to say, but God, I was a Hebrew. Paul's not going to say, but God, I followed the law. No, Paul is going to say what? Verse 9, he goes on to say, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is going to stand before the throne of God and not say, look at my trophies. Paul's going to say, look at Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus for my righteousness. This is why Paul is saying it's of surpassing worth to know Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is your righteousness. In other words, Jesus is the only reason you can stand before the throne of God. When you stand before God, you can say to God, God, you know what? I'm perfect. Yes, you can say that. God, I'm perfect. Why? Because I'm covered in the perfections of Jesus Christ. We don't go to the throne room of God with fear and trembling. This is, again, another bad idea that we try to use to scare people into obedience, right? How many times have we have heard this? Well, you're going to have to stand before the judgment seat once. There's, that's true. And if you're outside of Jesus Christ, you should tremble at that thought. Because the Bible's crystal clear. When you stand before the throne of God, and if you do not stand there with Jesus Christ, you'll be forced to bow your knee. And then after you're forced to bow your knee, you'll be separated out of the presence of God. But when you're in Christ Jesus, the throne of God does not cause us to tremble. But the, rather, the throne of God provides us an opportunity to boast. Have you thought about it this way before? When I stand before God, I've got an opportunity to boast. Not boast in myself, but as the Apostle Paul says, boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. The central idea of Christianity is that you and I treasure Jesus because Jesus makes us perfect. The central idea of Christianity is that you and I, left to ourselves, were not good, but God has made a way for us through his son Jesus Christ. We are made good. The central idea of Christianity is not that we are trying to be better in order to get something from God, but the central idea is that we are made better through Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's the hope of glory, Jesus Christ, within, alongside of us. This changes everything. Because when I know the why of why Jesus, guess what? I want to cling to him with all that I got. Because Jesus is my only hope to overcome death and the wrath of God. So I cling to Jesus. I don't cling, I don't get confidence because of my goodness, but my confidence comes from Jesus Christ. The central idea of Christianity is that God, through his Son, is making us right with himself. Very simply put, you and I better know Jesus. Because if we don't know Jesus, there's no way to be in relationship with God. The Apostle Paul is arguing here and sometimes using language that we don't understand because he's talking to a religious group that we don't exactly live in today. But he's building it all towards this single point of saying what? One passion. Know Christ Jesus. Let's continue on verse 10. So after he says, Jesus is my righteousness, he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 10. 
We use some language. Some of us grew up in, in church with kind of language that says, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. On one hand, there's, that, that's good. There's some churches that would actually benefit from starting to use that language a little bit. Personal relationship with Jesus. On the other hand, it's that, dangerous language. Because when you and I think of personal relationship, we think of what? Buddy, buddy. When we think of personal relationship, we, we think of, well, when Frank is going through this, I don't necessarily have to go through what Frank is going through. It's kind of a come and go type deal. So on one hand, personal relationship is good in that it, it reminds us that we are supposed to know Jesus like we know a friend, yet at the same time is it's not honoring enough to the person who we're in a relationship with. That God is calling us to know Christ in a whole different way, and he uses language here of saying what? You need to know him in the power of his resurrection. For in other words, in his greatest moment, at the exact same time as Paul says what? Jesus I want to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is the level of unity that the Apostle Paul yearns for and asks that you and I yearn for. That when we say we know Jesus, we don't know just the benefits and the blessing of Jesus, but we know the challenges and the trouble and the heartache of Jesus. When we invite someone to know Christ, we're not inviting them to a nice life. We're inviting them to a relationship that's going to allow them to traverse through a difficult life. And sometimes bringing Jesus is going to cause it to be more difficult. But the Apostle Paul says, I want to be in such close proximity, such close unity that I know everything about Jesus. Christianity is knowing Jesus. This is the goal. If this is the goal, what are the implications? What are the implications of this central idea of Christianity? I want to share with you quickly this morning four things that I think relate to all of our hearts that I hear from people on a regular basis. This morning, if I asked you to put up your hand and I said, hey, is there anything in your past that's affecting you today? I think if we went in this room, the majority of hands would go up. Everybody has something in their past that's affecting them today, that's kind of influencing who they are today, a mistake that still hovers over them. A past relationship that's stopping them from being intimate in a current relationship. A past relationship with their parents that's affecting how they parent today. The Apostle Paul does something powerful here. He says, you know what? When we know Jesus Christ, the past is forgotten. Look with me if you would. Let's go down here a little bit further. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The beauty of knowing Jesus Christ is the past is forgotten. You do not have to be defined. You do not have to be driven by your past mistakes. You may be living in some of the consequences of your past mistakes, but those past mistakes do not have to drive you today. They do not have to define you today. Because to God, they're gone. The psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, we've been forgiven. This is what happens to us through Jesus Christ. Stop living in the rearview mirror. God isn't looking back there. There's no reason for you to look back there. I've used this line before. It's really helpful for me from Pastor Chuck Swindoll. When he's talking about marriage, he's talking about relationship. 
He says, you need to put up a little sign that says no fishing allowed. With the people that were around, we've got to stop fishing in the past and reminding them. There's no fishing allowed. God's not fishing back there. You and I shouldn't be fishing back there. We forget the past because through Jesus Christ, God's wrath is satisfied. There's nothing you can do to make up for it. You don't even have to try to make up for it. It's already been done through Jesus Christ. The past is done. Stop living in the past. Second implication. Now, that goes on one side of the pendulum, but the pendulum swings the other way too. When we understand that it's about knowing Jesus, we understand that it's not just about religious activity. Here's why religious activity is dangerous. Is it can isolate us from the people who need religious people the most. Religious activity can isolate us from people who need religious people the most. Because religious activity, according to what Paul is talking about here, is kind of this idea of separatism. I stayed away from that stuff. Jesus got after the Pharisees for this all of the time. What? By touching this person, I'm dirty? What? No, no, no. You're missing the whole point. And so when we put our hope and our trust in religious activity, was it, it kind of puts us up on a monument. It causes us to look down on others, and it separates us from others. But when I know my hope and my trust is being in relationship with Jesus Christ in unison with him, I can be with others knowing that my hope and my trust is not affected at all. I can simply deliver Jesus to those I'm with. Religion is dangerous. Religion is dangerous if it's impure and if it's not according to the word of God. We see this all around us, right? The, the number one reason for war is religion. And what? Religion with bad ideas that have misunderstandings of what's been revealed in the Word of God. I'm not saying you and I are at war with people, but what happens is, is it hurts the way we interact with people when what? We trust in our religious activity. Knowing Jesus allows us to put the past in the past. Knowing Jesus allows us to put religious activity in its proper place. Let me finish this little second implication by talking about something that always gets brought up. The Apostle Paul, go back and look here. In Philippians 3, he bashes. I'm using this word very intentionally. He bashes things that would have been held on to very much. Circumcision. I'm not going to go into great deal on circumcision today, obviously. However, circumcision was a big deal. Catch this. Circumcision was commanded by God. And yet Paul bashes it. Why? Because the reason in which God commanded it did not deliver. In other words, circumcision was not meant to be in an end in and of itself. Let me now fast forward to our life today. Communion and baptism have been commanded by God. You could use the word instituted, whatever word you want to use. Very simply put, God has commanded us to have communion, do this in remembrance of me. God has commanded people anywhere and everywhere. God does not give an age, but he says, God says, be baptized. It's a command of God. Standing before the throne of God, baptism and communion gets you nowhere. 
unless baptism and communion have delivered Jesus Christ to you or strengthened your relationship with Jesus Christ. We take communion because communion is a remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. We baptize because it's a symbol. We baptize because also God commanded it. And in that baptism, God unites us into his family through that resurrection and the death of who? Jesus Christ. There's no baptized people in heaven that aren't proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. So these ordinances, sacraments, whatever you want to call them, the question is, are they delivering Jesus to us? Are they strengthening our walk with Jesus? So that religious activity flows out of that unity with Jesus. It's important. Don't get me wrong. It's important. But we elevate Jesus first and foremost. And everything flows from that. Our past does not define us when we walk with Jesus. Religious activity does not isolate us. Third, when we understand the central idea of Christianity, that Jesus is our righteousness and know Jesus, we can say so long insecurity. So long insecurity. Everybody say that with me. So long insecurity. This is the number one issue, hands down. Hands down. I've seen grown men of sizable size. That's not even good grammar. <laughs> and what are they? Insecure. They drop. They drop at the moment someone might say something harsh against them. Insecurity is wrecking our lives. We're looking for our security from all the wrong stuff. Our looks, our bank account, our careers when we're already more secure than we could ever be. Look with this. Look with me. Verse 12. Underline it. Highlight. Put it on your doorframe. Put it somewhere. Not that I have already obtained this or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. We are secure. Why? Not because I'm clinging to Jesus, but because Jesus is clinging to me. My strength does not come from the strength of my own faith. My strength comes from knowing that Jesus Christ has a hold on me. We've got to stop introspective, whatever, looking at our own selves, wondering about, well, do I have enough faith? Do I not have enough faith? It's not about the amount of your faith. Don't look for strength from your faith. Look from your strength from the fact that Jesus Christ has a hold on you. It's dependent upon me. I'm letting go and holding on to different grips all the time. All of us are. Our security comes from the fact that Jesus Christ has a hold of you. No one stronger, no one greater. We sing this all the time, right? Do we believe it? Worthy is the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb. If the Lion and the Lamb has a hold of us, why are we scared? Nothing to be insecure about. When I was working at the fairgrounds many years ago in the, in the summers, high school and college, we had the big grandstands. And the first couple summers I was there, I was like, I do not want to be in charge of the grandstand. He always had to put the flags on top of the grandstand. Get up there and the first time I'm doing this, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not a heights guy to begin with. This is absurd. Crawl up on top of the grandstand. These flagpoles are not light. I mean, I'm a strong guy, but these flagpoles are not light. So you have on top of the grandstand, there's this, the guy that I'm with. He's just walking up next. What, are, what is he doing next? He's running on top of the grandstand with the flagpole. 
just back and forth on top. I'm going. <laughs> and I'm kind of just crawling. You had a little hole that you crawled out of to get up. I'm just kind of crawling out. And I'm on all fours, like just bringing the pole with me. He's just running back and forth like this. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, you doing that is going to make me fall. And he's just laughing. He's having a great time. And he's like, he's like, get up. I'm like, no way. I will crawl up there if this takes me all day to put the flag in. He's like, you're going nowhere. Look that way. I'm like, I'm not looking that way. No way am I looking that way. Look that way. Turn around and look. Well, the reason he's running around is because at the end of the grandstand down here is a big 2 by 12 that if you start sliding down, what's going to happen? You're going to hit the 2 by 12 And he was a much bigger guy than I am. So if it's going to hold him, it's definitely going to hold me. Why was he secure? Somewhere where you should have absolutely no security. It wasn't because of his own ability or his own strength. It was because something external was set up outside of him. Why is it that an individual would be willing to fly into Afghanistan tomorrow morning and travel six hours by jeep and walk into a hut knowing that an hour and a half after he's in that hut, he's going to have his head taken off. That will happen. That will happen in the next seven days. Why would somebody do that? Because they have a security outside of themselves. Jesus Christ. We do not look in, we look out. It's time for us to say, so long insecurity, because my security is in Jesus Christ. I may not have the top career, I may not have the biggest bank account, I may not have the coolest clothes, but guess what? I have such internal security that it gives me external confidence. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should have such internal security that it gives us external confidence. Yes, that internal work that God is doing should flow out in external activity. That's what's happening in Afghanistan this next week. There's a lot of external activity. It's a plane ride, it's a jeep ride, and it's a lot of talking in a hut. That external activity is flowing from internal security. So how about you and I this next week? Is our internal security in Jesus Christ going to outflow an external activity that brings glory to God alone? Our past does not define us. Religious activity does not isolate us. So long insecurity. Finally, this goes along with the first one. So long low-grade guilt. So long low-grade guilt. What does that mean? There's a lot of Christians wandering around thinking they're being a better Christian by like, well, I'm not a very good Christian. I'm trying hard. Just not a very good Christian. (laughs) No, 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 no. That goes against the foundation of Christianity. You know what God says? Yeah, you're not very good. That's why I send Jesus. There is no good Christian. There is no good non-Christian. There's one who is good, Jesus Christ. And so we're looking to our own activity, kind of like, I know I should do, but we're looking in the wrong place. It shows that we don't truly understand where we're looking for our confidence and our hope. Stop wandering around, I'm not a very good Christian. Stop wandering around like that and just say, hey, you know what? I've got Jesus. I'm going to do my best today. That might sound a little Joel Olstein ish but guess what? 
That's true. <laughs> I've got Jesus. I'm going to do my best today. I'm not a very good Christian. You know what that is? It's a lie of the enemy trying to discourage you. Because find me someone that's got that attitude that's making an impact at their work, at their family, and in their community. That attitude just leads one to sit and relax. Oh no, I'm bold. I'm not bold because of my own goodness. I'm bold because I know Jesus Christ. I'm not bold because I'm strong in and of myself. I'm bold because Jesus Christ has a hold on me. I'm not bold because I've had a perfect past. I'm bold because God has forgiven my past. I'm not bold because I avoid irreligious people. I'm bold because Jesus has sent me to be with irreligious people. It all flows from what? Knowing Jesus Christ. And so today... One question for you. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? There's a big difference between knowing about Jesus. Everybody in this room knows that Jesus fed the 5,000 probably. A big difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. You know Jesus when you know his power and you know his sufferings. And so this next week, let there be one pursuit, one pursuit to know Jesus Christ. And everything flows out of that union. Everything, our giving, our talking, our actions all flow out of knowing Jesus Christ. There's a lot of bad ideas out there. The question is not, do you understand all the dynamics of the different ideas? The question is this, do you know the central idea of Christianity well enough that you can identify the bad ideas. I can go to lunch today, and I can probably identify when they put a diet Mountain Dew in front of me. That's because what? I know the pure stuff really, really well. You're going to face a lot of lies this next week. Are you going to be able to identify them? Because you know Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. We praise you for your gifts today. God, we want to know your son, Jesus, above all else. And so we acknowledge that oftentimes we're lingering in the past. We acknowledge that oftentimes we're trusting in our own achievements. But today, God, we want to be covered by the righteousness of Jesus above all else. And so I pray today that you'd remove insecurity. I pray that today, O oh Lord, you'd remove low confidence and that you'd give us a spirit of boldness through Jesus Christ our Lord, and our Savior. God, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for the gifts that you've given to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.